Hey everybody, this is Jim, and you are listening to the Faith Tested by Fire podcast. Every so often, I like to go through the Bible again, uh, especially the New Testament, reading it like I'm reading it for the very first time. And it's really amazing, uh, the insights that you can get, what you can learn. And um, the other day, I I was, I'm not a baseball fan, uh, but people in my family are, um, and uh, especially my mom, in her uh, retirement years, has really enjoyed watching her team. Uh, play and even though they didn't make it to the World Series, she was following it anyway. And uh, she got me kind of involved in the game uh, this time around. And we were um, decided we would root for the uh, Astros because they were an American League team. And we're from the New York, uh, New Jersey area. Uh, we're from New Jersey actually, but you know when you're in that part of the country, uh, which I'm in Florida now, but when you're there. It's kind of like um, you share teams with with New York. New Jersey does, like the Giants and the Yankees. But anyway, uh, the point is, uh, and there's some Philadelphia fans in there too, but the point is is that um, as I'm following this game, I, I mean, I actually could feel the tension because, you know, the, the pitcher and, the, and the, I mean, it's a, it's a tense game and it takes a while to throw a pitch. I'm not a big baseball fan. You probably can't tell because I'm throwing these, you know, I'm throwing the the lingo out there so fluently. But, um, you know, just, you know, you know, the basic rules of the game, you know, there's nine innings, uh, three outs and so forth. But the the game unfolds sometimes at uh, such a slow pace, but then suddenly action erupts and maybe a team will score a bunch of runs and a, and a pitcher will be uh, called off the mound and replaced and and then as the innings go especially in a, in a playoff game or in the world series you realize that the number of opportunities to turn things around are beginning to diminish and this is just a game right but but life is like that too and i was thinking that when you look at somebody's life <clears throat> and when you look at your own life you think about opportunities that you may have had to change things. And some of the opportunities maybe you took in the past worked out okay for you. I mean, I went to college. It wasn't a game changer, but I really wanted to go, want experience. It only went for two years. And I remember asking a professor that if I went for four years, would it make a difference in my particular field that I was going for? <clears throat> which at the time was graphic design. And he said, honestly, no. If you want to have the experience, you know, get your degree. And and, and sure enough, um, that was the case, especially being that at that time, um, when I went out into the working world, the um, computers were just starting to become, um, were starting to change the landscape. And so within two years, everything basically that I learned to do by hand would be replaced by a computer, maybe three or four, definitely. But the changes began to happen, and so my college education became obsolete pretty pretty fast. If I look back, would I have done it? 
again, yeah, I, I would have. I think the experience was good for me on a, a number of levels. But you can look back in your own life at some of the decisions that you made, and maybe things didn't really make a, a choice that you've made maybe didn't um, didn't pan out or didn't produce the type of results that you had hoped at the level you had hoped. But it wasn't a bad experience, and you know, life is is kind of like a baseball game in insofar as sometimes it seems to really slow down, and one day is just a carbon copy of another. But then like the game or like any sport, suddenly something can turn around quickly and a bunch of things happen and suddenly the scoreboard is totally different than it was just a few minutes previous. And life is like that. Things can change suddenly. I mean, you just wake up and, and, and there's a comfort um, along with a boredom when things just stay the same. And the illusion is, is that as long as things just stay the same, you'll be fine. But here's the thing. Things never stay the same. They're either going to get better or they're going to get worse, but they're not going to exactly stay the same. And so it was this mentality that I started examining what was happening in my life today. And I'm encouraging for you to do what's what's happening in your life, realizing that change is coming and you'll have some decisions to make. And I, I think about the decisions that God's people historically have had to make as they went through different seasons in life. And you can go all the way back to the Old Testament and see the warnings that God gave his people about the things which were to come and to be ready and to prepare now because there comes a time when it when it be too late. You remember the story of Noah, of course? There was plenty of warning ahead of time, and he prepared— for about 100 years, I think the Bible says, for that day, and then suddenly the day came. And when it came, everything was changed. Nothing was ever the same again uh, ever since that time. You look at points in history when things changed and they were never the same. And, you know, people like to hold on to the past because there are certain things about the past that have uh, an appeal which you can no longer find out there. Totally understandable. But the Bible warns against looking back. It says, if you look back, you're basically no good for the kingdom of God. God can't use people that are, are looking back. He has to find people who are looking ahead. And as much as you may find happiness in memories of the past, you have to realize that although it's fine to reminisce and look back at the things which were, you realize that your, your energy and your focus and everything has to be on what's happening now. And the good thing is, Although circumstances change, God never changes. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The Bible says Jesus Christ never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so I started with these different things going through my mind because in certain areas in life, I was just thinking about this, um, certain tests and trials um, we've been going through for a while and um, nothing physical or anything like that, but just situation-wise. And uh, every once in a while, I look at the clock, like you might look at the scoreboard and see what inning you're in, and it seems like you have time. And, you know, you, you fight the good fight of faith every day, but some days the fight is a little bit harder than others, more intense than others. But as you become conscious and aware that you're getting close to the end of that particular game, 
right? There's not just one game in a season, there's many games. But in a particularly important game, when you're nearing the end, you realize that you only have so many more opportunities to get up to the plate, to swing at the ball, to connect with the ball, to put some points on the board of your life. You only have so many times to get up there. Now that may create some fear and that may create some discouragement and that may create some negative feelings, but I want to leave you with that. That's not the purpose of me even bringing this up. First, I just want to locate, help you locate yourself because we're all this, we're all the same. We're all wired the same, that we all face the same things. It's just that some people get bogged down in these things and other people are able to get up and move on from them. And so I believe God wants you, me, anybody who believes especially, uh, to move on. And so I, I began reading the book of Acts again with all of these things in mind because the book of Acts actually shows what the disciples did after the resurrection. Now think about this for a moment. In time, in history, historically speaking, uh, these men were alive when Jesus of Nazareth preached on the streets. They saw the miracles. They saw all of the things that led up to the arrest and led up to the crucifixion, and they didn't understand. They didn't under, they, they, they felt that what was happening to them was a defeat at the time. You know, in life, there's like that. Certain circumstances aren't turning out the way you think they would, but the game isn't over. It's not the last inning yet. You may be close, but it's not the last inning yet. And this setback doesn't have to get you to a place where you just throw in the towel and you stop moving forward. I want to say stop, tr- start trying, you stop trying, but, you know, trying, believing, um, having faith, all of those positive things are all tied together, right? The Bible says that not, don't grow weary in doing well for in due season you'll reap if you faint not in the book of Galatians. And Jesus said in uh, the gospel of Luke, uh, in the 18th chapter, that men ought always, always to pray and not to faint, right? So we have these, these truths that are sprinkled throughout the Bible that says, don't give up. And you know, it's in there for a reason, because there's going to be plenty of opportunity where logically it looks like all hope is lost, Right, so we read these stories, but we can see what happens afterwards. You can see Lazarus died. Everybody was depressed about it. There was great sorrow. Um, But then Jesus came and turned that situation around. Well, we see the whole thing, and so we think, oh, well, Jesus was there. But if you were actually there at the time, we probably would have been in the same situation. Like, wow, now what are we going to do? Maybe if we found out that he just died, maybe you would have some faith that Jesus could heal and restore him. But if he was already in a tomb for three days then and embalmed, you know they embalmed people in those days? They learned those embalming rituals from the Egyptians. They stayed with the Israelites throughout that time. At least that's what the historians tell us. And so that adds an extra element to it. But, um, you know, if somebody is died like moments ago, um, You can imagine um, possibly praying for them and God working a miracle. But somebody's been dead for days or is already starting to decompose, which they said um, he was because after three days, the uh, body is in full 
decomposition mode, I guess you'd call it. And so, you know, Jesus did the miracle, but you, you didn't see that to that degree up until that time. Uh, the widows uh, at Nain, her son, or the woman, son who they were having the funeral procession, that was before they got him into a tomb. Um, and he was raised up again. But anyway, you understand what I'm saying. So I'm reading in, in the book of, of Acts, looking at some of these things as though I were alive at the time. So, because if you actually put yourself in this position and, and don't just say, well, I read that or I heard that before or whatever, and read it for yourself and believe it because you, see, you can see it yourself, it can change everything. So Acts chapter 1, verse number 1, it says, The former account I made, O Theophilus, all of all that Jesus began to both do and teach until the day in which he was taken up um, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them forty days, during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. This is from the New King James Version. And just looking at these first verses there, you could see that um, he gave the commandments to the apostles, who were originally the disciples. Remember what he did? What did he actually tell them to do when they went out? He told them to go out, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, freely you've been given, freely you receive. And they came back and they said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, initially, they had that kind of faith, not because they read it in the Bible, but because Jesus, who did miracles in front of their eyes, told them, now I'm going to give you authority to do this in my name. So they have a, a belief foundation that you and I didn't have. Right? They actually saw Jesus the man. They actually saw him cast out devils. They actually saw him heal maimed lepers, making their skin normal. They actually saw him raise the dead. They didn't just read about it. They actually saw it. They had the experience, right? Because there was no New Testament yet. And then that same man that they spent time with told them, I give you the authority to do the same thing. Well, you would have burst from the scene, probably went out with all kinds of excitement, ready to do that. And it says they did, and they came back excited saying, Lord, even demons are subject to us in your name. And they healed the sick, and they did all those miracles. And then when they came back and they told Jesus that, he said, don't, don't, just re don't rejoice because demons are subject to you, but rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So what's more important? The, here's the thing. People want to choose one or the other. You don't have to choose it. It's a, it's a complete gospel message. It's not just the information. It's not just a mindset. It's not just a heart belief. It's, it's followed by signs following. God confirms his word with signs following. So you can argue all day about a belief system with somebody. But when somebody actually sees results, when they see the miracles, when they see the signs, it transforms everything. And so early in my experience, I determined that, you know, I need to, 30 years ago, I need to see the power of God in a tangible way. Now, here's the thing. Acts chapter 1, verse number 3, it says that he, meaning Jesus, himself alive, he presented himself alive after his suffering. That means after the cross, by many, 
by many infallible proofs. And so I don't, I don't know about you. I don't know what your experience is, but I needed infallible proofs. And if Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, of course, you remember what, what Thomas said. He said, unless I see the prince in his hand and able to stick my hand in his side, I will not believe. All these people saw Jesus risen, but Thomas, Thomas doubted, right? That's why we call him Doubting Thomas. The name has stood the test of time. Poor guy did did drop the ball one time, and a lot of people forever remember him as the one who doubted. But when he finally appeared, when Jesus showed him that, then what what did did, uh, Thomas do? He fell down. He said, my Lord, and my God, he believed. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Now that that goes along with blessed are those. Like when, when Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus replied and said, blessed are you. Because flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father, which is in heaven. So most of us, myself included, have never seen Jesus. Maybe you had a a dream with him in it. I'm not going to say whether that is real or not real because I wasn't in your dream. I can't tell. Right? But I believe, based on this, being that God's character never changes, that he will give you everything some infallible proofs. Now, even even so, um, people have a hard heart. You can tell if you read the end of the Gospels, they're walking with Jesus. They couldn't see him. They didn't even know it was him. You know, now, maybe we don't like to talk about things like, um, from our own perspective, having a hardened heart. You probably don't perceive yourself from your own vantage point as having a hard heart. But let me tell you what a hard heart is like. Let me tell you from my own experience what it's like. When your heart begins to get hardened as it pertains to a situation and getting the victory and, and God being glorified instead of demons and evil powers, <clears throat> you begin to look at it and you begin to get discouraged. And then when you get discouraged, there's a part of you that says, why bother? God's not going to help. And then you can... Uh, look at it from a theological standpoint, come up with all these reasons, for reasons we don't understand. But when I look at Jesus, in no situation was he ever defeated in, not one. And so one of the things I'm going to look at in the book of Acts is how did they pray? How did they approach problems? How did they face obstacles? Because they were basing their actions, their acts, on what they had learned directly from Jesus himself. And Jesus himself taught them everything that God himself, the Father, told him. He, said, he told them everything. So when God said, when Jesus said, the Son, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, he shall have whatsoever he saith, that was God the Father saying, tell them, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, he or she, they will have whatsoever they saith. Whosoever can have whatsoever. Right? Because it's not the person doing it. It's God doing it. It's his power. It's his holiness credited to our account. It's his righteousness. Now, our part is to get to the place where we believe it. And sometimes you have to fight 
the good fight of faith in order to get to a place where you have rest and peace in your heart when you can believe. Okay, so let me, let's go on a little bit further here. In verse number four, it says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, he said, you have heard from me. That is the promise to receive the Holy Spirit. Well, you know, this has to be a different experience than they had at the end of the Gospel of John. Let me show you what I'm talking about. The Gospel of John, after Jesus was raised from the dead, the 20th chapter, Jesus appeared to them in the 19th verse and said, Peace be unto you. Verse number 20 says, And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then his disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said unto them again, Peace to you, as my Father has sent me, as my Father has sent me, in the same way my Father has sent me, is what it's saying, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Right? So what do you think happened when he did that? Well, probably they received the Holy Spirit because that's what he did. He breathed on them. So that was probably the, the point. That was probably the point where, where people use the term uh, new creation or born again or um, a, a new spirit, having a new spirit. That's probably when that happened, right, right there. That's probably really the beginning of the New Testament, the first believers, the, the first harvest, so to speak, happened right at that moment here on the, on the earth. He, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on and he talks to Thomas. But here in the book of Acts, which is later, remember what he said, being assembled together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, not to depart, but wait for the promise of the Father. He said here, for John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so we see two separate experiences because the one already happened. He already breathed on them when they were in the room together. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. But so what was happening here wasn't the same thing. It had to be two different things or else they would have said, Lord, you already breathed on us. We already received the Holy Spirit. So there was a separate experience here. I don't want you to intellectualize it and break it down to the point where you just get filled with unbelief. I'm just saying that if you wanted to prove in a court of law that there were two different experiences Jesus was talking about, if you believe the Bible's true, then there's two different experiences ha happening here. One happened in John the 20th chapter. The second one happened at a later point in time here in the book of Acts. You shall be baptized with. Baptized with immer is, is a word that we use to describe immersion. You will be immersed in. There's a, uh, there was a, a, a belief system about being baptized into Moses in the Old Testament. When they passed through the waters together, when God parted the sea, it was baptized, being identified with, being immersed with. It's a, it's a symbolic word. All right, let's use it that way. Instead of trying to understand exactly what it is, you know, people uh, argue about what's really the baptism. Technically, can you get sprinkled or it doesn't count? All right. It's an outward act. 
So the only, there's one baptism that saves, and that's the baptism that, that God does. I believe that happened in John chapter 20. You have nothing to do with it. But here, they had something to do with this. He told them to wait in Jerusalem so they could receive something. So what that tells me is if they didn't wait, right, then they wouldn't have received something. Right? Because he said, don't depart from Jerusalem, but wait for this. Right? So obviously it was something different than they got in John chapter 20. Now in, in, in John chapter 20, they didn't do anything. He just said, receive the Holy Spirit and blew on them. It was all God doing it. Doesn't even say they had to receive it by faith. Hey, it just happened. The new birth is like that. You get the faith to believe, and you believe, and it happens. The, the system works. You don't say, well, you know, I was a, I, I called on the name of the Lord. The Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I did that uh, five years ago, but it hasn't manifested yet. Nobody, nobody looks at it that way, right? You call on the name of the Lord. Probably if you had no idea of any type of theology or anything, you just called on the name of Jesus to help you, uh, and, and you died uh, moments later. Do you think you'd get to heaven and be, oh, you know, it didn't work. Sorry. Or, or, or you, you get to a crossroad. Sorry, you didn't make it. You know, it, it, it's not of works lest any man boast. Here is something where they had a, a specific response that was required of them here. Okay, now let's change gears a little bit. In the sixth verse. Now imagine you're here at the time. You were with Jesus, let's say, in John chapter 20. You were one of the people standing in the room with him or sitting in the room, and you're here again. Okay, now these people, you think they understood everything? They didn't. They didn't. I mean, maybe they had better insight because they were with Jesus himself, but they were people just like we are today. You know, sometimes you don't realize what you had until it's gone. I think it's the same way with them. I don't really think they understood how special he was until after the fact. Okay, so... Verse number six, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, now think about that. What prompted that question? Well, because they heard these prophecies from the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament. They had an Old Testament. Book of Revelation, nothing was, was written yet. And probably the Gospels were, you know, scrolls that they had jot down as they went along writing down the words that Jesus was saying. There were scribes at the time who wrote down important things. That was the culture they had. It was a written word. They took it very seriously. And he responds to them and he said, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons or the seasons. Right? So the word time there is, is, comes from a Greek word called chronos. That means a duration of time, a period or a stretch or a length of time, you know, what day it is, or seasons. So it's not just the time, it's the seasons. You know, we look at, at our four seasons that we have. You know, right now we're in the fall, then comes the winter, spring and summer. We look at that and we can tell. But he says it's not for you to know the times or the seasons. That really covers everything, you know. Now, there was coming a time when Jerusalem was going to be destroyed by the Romans. And he said, when you see these things, know that the time is at hand. That's, I, that's different than 
the answer to the question he was giving them was, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at the time? And so basically what happened was it got a lot worse before it got better, didn't it? Because in 70 AD, Rome got totally destroyed. I mean, not Rome, Jerusalem. <clears throat> and it was no more. The Roman armies crushed it. It's a matter of, of history. Uh, nobody, nobody doubts or debates it. So he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons for this event to happen. Well, when actually did it happen? You know, we would say maybe 1967 or 1948. You know that Israel is back there today. Now, you have to realize, some people say, well, you know, that was just, um, you know, we don't believe it like that. This is our inter interpretation of what Israel is. Let me just leave you with this thought. The Bible says those who are in Israel are not all of Israel. In other words, there are those who are born... <clears throat> From the Jewish line, from the Israelite line, let's put it that way, because Jewish is really <clears throat> just talking about the tribe of Judah originally. People who were Jews were from the tribe of Judah, but there was also, you know, there were two kingdoms. So not to get real deep into this, but um, Israel was divided into two kingdoms, a northern and a southern kingdom, after Solomon died with his sons Jeroboam, and Rehoboam. So, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That word there is dunamis, and you shall witness to me in Jerusalem and Judea and to the end of the earth. And then in verse number nine, he is taken up into the heavens. Now, imagine that. So, everything was going to start when they received the Holy Spirit. Everything is going to start when they received power. Now, I'm going to read you other verses here in the book of Acts. So you'll begin to see that there were certain believers that didn't receive the Holy Spirit when they first believed. They received it afterward, a time later, through the laying on of hands. That was one of the ways that they did it. But the Holy Spirit himself came here on the scene all the way, way back when in the book of Acts back on the day of Pentecost, and he's been here ever since. And if you're lacking power in your life, getting it as easy as asking God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And you know, just like anything else, being filled, having your mind renewed, it's an ongoing activity that has to happen in your life. And, and let me tell you something, you, nobody will know as well as you whether you have power in your life or not. Whether things change for the better through using the name of Jesus, through believing the word of God, or whether you're stuck and, 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 and struggling. And so part of the reason, or the main reason why I'll be going through the book of Acts um, starting today and in the next several times, next several podcasts, is so that you can look at your own experience and begin to do exactly what the early disciples did and model yourself after what Jesus did. Model the way you pray, model the way you deal with circumstances, and all of those things. I'm going to break this down and make it as simple as possible for you. Okay, so that's all I have for you today. Um, this is not normally the way I talk on the podcast. 
going verse by verse or section by section, I should say, because I'm not probably going to read every single verse. But um, please, uh, if you uh, receive this, uh, take some time, open up the book of Acts, read it for yourself. Don't just believe it because I'm telling you about it. Compare the scripture verses, see whether it be so, and begin to make some tweaks and changes in your life. Let me tell you something. The smallest changes with the right heart, with the right attitude, can make an incredible difference in your life. And I believe that these things that we're talking about will do exactly that. So that's all for now. This is Jim. God bless. Have a great rest of your day, and I will talk to you soon.